2: Hello, welcome to Dirt Radio. You're on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, Today, you're joined by me, Elise Cunningham, the coordinator of the Sustainable Cities Collective. And in the studio with me, I have Alicia. If you want to introduce yourself, Ali. Hey,
1: I'm Alicia. And I'm a community organizer with the Act on Climate Collective at Friends
2: of the Earth. Thank you, Ali. Sorry, could you just repeat your name there for the people because your mic wasn't on (laughs) at first? Sorry. Alicia Hanchikoski. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, And before we get into things, I just would like to acknowledge that we are joining you today from stolen land. Um, We're here in so-called Collingwood at the 3CR studio on Wurundjeri, Wurundjeri country. Um, Sovereignty was never ceded and we pay our respects to elders past and present and to any First Nations community listening to the call today, uh, to the radio today, sorry. Um, And this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And yeah, as we sort of talk about climate justice, um, we should always be acknowledging that First Nations justice really underpins environmental and climate justice and there really is no climate justice without First Nations justice. Um, on the line today as well, we have Anna. If Anna, would you care to say hello?
0: Hello. Can you hear me?
2: We can hear you.
0: Good day, everyone. Um, I'm Anna, and I'm uh, I work with Ali on the Act on Climate Collective at Friends of the Earth.
2: Beautiful. Thank you, Anna. Um, so yeah, this year, Friends of the Earth is celebrating its 50th birthday. So we've decided that um, aside from next week, when we've got the 3CR Radiothon, the shows this month, will be talking about the work that FO um, has done over the last 50 years. So you'll be joined by different collective coordinators uh, each week. So um, this week, you've got myself who coordinates the Sustainable Cities Collective and then Ali and Anna from the Act on Climate Collective. Um, And yeah, before we get into things, we'll just have a quick community service announcement and then we'll get into it.
1: You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. The
2: cool. And you're here on 3CR Dirt Radio and we'll be talking about the work of Friends of the Earth over the last 50 years. So I guess for this first half, why don't we have a chat about Act on Climate and um Yeah, the work that this collective has been doing since its inception and I guess in the climate justice space in general. Um, Maybe we'll start with you, Anna. Um, You could give us a bit of Act on Climate History because you've been at FOE for a long time now. So can you maybe tell us a bit about the beginnings of the Act on Climate Collective and your own history with FOE as a campaigner?
0: So Act on Climate as a collective started back in 2017 and uh like before i even do act on climate itself history um it's important to know the context of how that collective even started and what came uh, right before it in so campaign context um basically the 5 six, 6 years or so before that um friends of the earth's two main campaigns in victoria were these kind of sister campaigns um, about resisting new fossil fuel extraction and, uh, you know, pushing for the new renewable energy technology to come through and take over in the energy space. So we had our campaign uh, to ban fracking and offshore... uh, Sorry, onshore gas, which was um, a huge campaign coordinated across the whole of regional Victoria with um, farming communities around the state... Uh, resisting this dangerous technology. And then on the flip side, we had our Yes to Renewables campaign, uh, a campaign which is still active. Um, but at the time, it was really kind of much more, you know, it was earlier days for renewables and um under the, the Abbott government and then Turnbull governments at the time, which were really like putting the brakes on renewable energy investment, um, letting the technology take off at the federal level. We needed to really push at the state level for uh, the right conditions to be created for investment in renewables so that projects could get off the ground. Um, So we had this kind of, you know, we were saying no to new fossil fuels and yes to renewables, the new green technology, we need to tackle the climate crisis. But the interesting thing was that um, I guess neither of those campaigns, I guess renewables more than fracking campaign, but neither kind of had uh, like climate as the most central part of the messaging. And when both of those campaigns were won in 2016 and 17, we got a ban on fracking um, and we got the Victorian renewable energy target. There was this new um, space we needed to go into to specifically talk about, you know, what are the climate um, impacts that are actually going to be coming regardless of the action we take now that we need to prepare for in Victoria and also what are like the umbrella policies we need to get in place in Victoria to um, like really chart our course as quickly as possible to net zero emissions And, again, this was in the context of, you know, the very conservative... um, Well, at the time, it was kind of going... It was Turnbull, but not far off Morrison government, which were really putting the brakes on climate action at the federal level. So the Act on Climate campaign um, was born out of that time. And uh, our first... Like, our first thing that we really hit the ground running campaigning for was the passage of the Victorian Climate Change Act
1: in 2017. Thanks, Anna. I love working alongside you and your nine to ten years of history (laughs) um, that (laughs) appears in random anecdotes and um, pretty epic stories. I'm interested to hear, in your view, what has been the most impactful work that the Act on Climate Collective has done? Yeah, I think
0: I think a really key part of our work from the start has been uh, the fact that it was a state-focused, as in state government-focused climate campaign in the context of, um, I'd say, probably most of the climate movement um, directing energy at the federal government, which was, you know, really necessary, like, and, and always is going to be, Um, at the time was really necessary to, like, shine a light on the deep ties to the fossil fuel industry of the turnbull Morrison, Abbott governments and um, also just to keep, um, you know, holding their feet to the fire on the lack of action. Um, But I guess, like, you know, with so many groups working on that, um, this Act on Climate campaign really became about looking at, you know, we're not going to get any good climate outcomes out of the federal government, um, at, like, for what it was at the time. So we turned our attention to the state government to look at, you know, what can we actually progress in Victoria um, when, like, we, we're we not going to get work done uh, nationally that's going to have enough impact. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, the first uh, bill that we really pushed for the passage through of... and. Um, worked to secure the extra upper house votes needed was the victorian climate change act 2017 that had actually been in place quite a few years before it had been introduced by an earlier state labor government but then it had been gutted by the um Bailey napstein liberal governments um in the kind of late in the early 2010s so um <laughs> You know, we've sort of already gone forwards and then backwards, but, like, by bringing this um, bill back through the parliament, that set up, like, our work for the next pretty much five years um, of getting all this umbrella climate infrastructure in place, um, policy-wise, in Victoria. So we coordinated a, a bit of a marathon campaign to... Um, secure Victoria's emissions reduction targets for 2030 and 35. Um, People might have just heard in the last week or so that the 2035 target of 75 to 80% emissions reduction for Victoria has recently um, come into effect, which is pretty epic. Um, And, yeah, like, we... I guess, like, we really had impact in working on the ground with new communities around Victoria that were starting to identify the first emergent climate impacts where they lived um, and, you know, really using that to make the case for Victoria to set maximum ambition of its targets.
2: And would you say that, you know, since you guys turned your focus, I guess, towards the state government rather than federal um, did you see any kind of knock-on effects throughout Victoria within the environment movement after you turned your focus?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it was an interesting kind of few years to be doing this because, of course, well, 2017, 18, 19, um, or 2017, 18, we were leading up to, like, the 2018 state election. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that saw, like, a lot of groups get on board because we have this, like, bizarre context of the Liberal Victorian Liberal Party actually going into the election with literally no climate policy. Mm. Like, they didn't even... Like, their website, you know, we couldn't find a page that mentioned climate change, and their energy policy was this vague kind of commitment to build a new power station that may or may not be (laughs) coal-fired. So... Um, Like, a lot of groups really came together at that time, um, including, like, not just in the environment movement, but in the Victorian Union movement to hold the Liberals accountable for that dismal, um, you know, total ignoring of the climate crisis. And I think, like, we have seen um, the Liberals really, like, change their tune in the last few years in Victoria Mm -hmm. because... um, quite a like a significant chunk of their catastrophic loss in 2018 was attributed to their lack of climate policy um, and there are awesome you know local groups around victoria um, and Melbourne including like lighter footprints who have been um, putting the pressure on the liberals in particular to up their game on this um, and I think another awesome coming together moment on this front of climate policy in victoria was Actually, during the pandemic um, in the first year of the lockdowns in 2020, when, uh, as part of the Victorian government's obligations, having legislated the Climate Change Act, it had to write Victoria's first um, climate change strategy. Uh, And, you know, this is meant to be a process that, like, brings in the input of community members around the state. But in the context of 2020, like a there was just kind of it, it wasn't like at the top of the government's pile of things to do when you know we were dealing with this unfolding um crisis and also it was like extra hard to you know even reach out to community members to talk about this stuff so um act on climate we took it upon ourselves to uh, essentially as we put it take the climate strategy off the government's hands and um create our own people's climate strategy for Victoria. Um, That turned into pretty much a year and a half long project to gather all of these ideas and intelligence from people around Victoria about uh, how climate change is already impacting them where they lived uh, and also what local solutions they wanted to see. And I think because we put such an emphasis on the... um, any solutions that we talked about needing to also further social justice, that brought in just a whole lot of really interesting um, groups in on this strategy, you know, who might not have climate as their main thing that they're working on. So we were talking with like disability justice advocates, people in the union movement, um, frontline social services, a whole different load of people. um, And yeah, like that, that was, a, I thought that was a really beautiful coming together to articulate a vision, like, rooted in our values of, um, you know, social justice as part of tackling the climate crisis.
1: Mm, so well put, Anna. The People's Climate Strategy is such an epic piece of work, um, and I love looking through it and really seeing the way that data and stories comes together to form a visionary plan for the future and and it integrates both the concerns that people have uh, alongside the impacts that they're already facing, which takes us to what's happening now in the collective. Um, So given that this work was done around 2020 and since then we've had a couple of elections, it's an exciting time to be returning to that work and actually kind of picking it up and running with it to the point where we're going to communities and having conversations with them about what they're already doing to resist these impacts that they're experiencing locally and how we can work together across the movement to actually advocate for those solutions on a political level. Um, We're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, but I will just quickly talk about the road trip that we are looking at doing. And this could be of interest to listeners out there, especially if they're in the regions, because we are targeting coastal communities at the moment. And, for example, we visited Inverloch recently where they are experiencing really intense levels of erosion which is only going to be exacerbated under climate change but these kinds of impacts are present across the coast both towards the, the west and the east also in places like Apollo Bay and um, Port Portland and so we are doing a call out at the moment to the community to share their stories of the observations that they're having about the, the place where they're They've been living, working and observing for years and are actually seeing things change around them. So I think this is a great opportunity to put that call out to the community to get in touch with the Act on Climate Collective and share what you're seeing change as climate impacts do worsen because we want to visit communities who are already impacted by the climate crisis and really amplify those voices of frontline communities As impacts only worsen.
2: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ali and Anna. Um, We'll have a quick community service announcement now and then we'll come back and look at the history of sustainable cities and Foes transport campaigning, which is very interesting.
1: The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter.
2: All right, you're still here on 3CR listening to Dirt Radio uh, with Elise Cunningham, coordinator of the Sustainable Cities Collective. And we just wrapped up a chat with Anna Langford and Alicia Hanchikowski. <laughs> I said her last name right. Woohoo. Uh, from the Act on Climate Collective. So, yeah, now we'll talk a bit about FOE's history of transport campaigning. Um, and transport is actually, you know, one of the things that FOE has been campaigning on since day dot, since the 70s when when FOE began, um, and that started in 1975 with the No Lead in Petrol campaign, uh, which was a national campaign led by Fo Australia. Um, and, yeah, they worked really closely with, like, a bunch of different groups on this campaign. And um, similarly to a lot of what the collectives at Fo are doing now, working with groups across – Um, all different kinds of community sectors, I guess, rather than just within the environmental movement. But they they were working with, like, childcare organisations because uh, the issue with lead in petrol is related to the um, intellectual development of kids. Um, So that was, yeah, the first sort of thing that they campaigned on. And then um, they've also had a very long-standing campaign against the Eastern Freeway, and that's had four different sort of phases um around it so the first phase was 1977 so and this is all very you know place-based it's very much where we are now because we're just down the road from alexandra parade um and the eastern freeway so that used to end at the river i think on the yarra river um uh, but Uh, In 1977, the Citizens Against Freeways um, put barricades on um, the parade, trying to stop it finishing uh, beyond the river, which obviously it does now. So sadly, that campaign was not won, but that's okay. Then in (laughs) 1984, um, they wanted to actually expand the freeway further down Alexander Parade so that it would connect with um, the Tullamarine Freeway. Um, but a new sort of inception of the Citizens Against Freeways began called um, Coalition Against Freeway Expansions and they went down and blockaded this expansion for more than 40 days and the campaign had its own sort of hotline that folks could ring if they saw work starting on the freeway expansion Um, and people would get down there and blockade straight away. So I think that's pretty cool. I don't know... Uh, Ali and Anna if you think that's pretty cool but I think that's pretty awesome
0: um, I just love the idea of Bo's office being right up the street from that and just like coming in for a bit of a morning blockade on your way to the office
2: <laughs> yeah you know why, why not who doesn't love a little morning blockade to get your day started <laughs> um, and then so next phase so that's the first two phases of this campaign and then 1984 to 85 um they the part where the Eastern Freeway joins at Ringwood, they did um, some tree sits and actions for weeks and weeks to stop them from, um, like, I think they wanted to expand the freeway, yeah, sort of across the city again, but um, they once again did blockades and stuff and then they got a tunnel instead of the, like, sort of above ground freeway. Um, and then also went into a bit of a fight about whether they would get the long tunnel or the short tunnel. And then they won the long tunnel. And now, uh, where that tunnel currently sits, rather than it being, um, a big old freeway, there's actually a nature reserve, a big bush reserve, um, running over it. So, So there was a win in the end. There was a win in the end. There was a couple of wins. And yeah, I think that's a pretty significant win. Huge. And Really nice to think about, I guess, if you're ever in that area to think, you know, that that's the reason that's there is because Foe and Foe's allies were, um, and all the people who blockaded and did the tree sits were instrumental in that. And I think that's, that's really awesome. Um, And yeah, there was a lot of stuff sort of aligned uh, in the nineties with, I guess, the UK, UK's Reclaim the Streets um, movement, which was sort of reclaiming space for citizens and for people rather than cars. Um, and they were creating temporary temporary autonomous zones. So, um, Faux then started their streets for people, um, campaign and they were like surveying bike riders who were asking for designated bike lanes. Um, and this is a really cool action as well, because, um, they, if, if the people surveyed wanted bike lanes, they would go to the council and ask for council to install bike lanes. And if they didn't do it, foe would just go out and do it themselves and they did like really shoddy like painted on bike lanes on the streets um and there was one council or was it several councils one council who just ended up going in and putting in the bike lanes that had been asked for because it's better to have the actual bike lane than the shoddy like faux drawn one but yeah I think that's also a really cool kind of action and just you know I think that's such a powerful thing um for groups to do is like if the government or the decision makers won't provide something, we can just sort of have a, have a go ourselves. (laughs) And that's the roots of the collective that you work with now, Elise.
1: Sustainable Cities has grown out of this radical history of going out and creating the things that they want in terms of transport infrastructure.
2: Yeah. And I think obviously the work has sort of shifted now, um, I guess, you know, we still have allies that are doing that sort of oppositional work, like opposing major road projects and things like that, and that's definitely something that Sustainable Cities is still focused on to a degree. But obviously now our main campaign is the Better Busses campaign, which is very much, I guess, campaigning for something that, you know, we know people need and people want, and there's a clear sort of need for that. So that's been the super recent history um, with the Better Busses campaign And, uh, yeah, I guess a lot of our work has been really focused on community organizing in the West and yeah, similarly to the history of FOE, we've been working with, um, organizations all across the board in the disability sector and, um, in the community, in community services because, um, yeah, this is another campaign that's really integrated with, I guess, like social equity and social justice rather than it just being, Something purely about sort of environmental justice it's it's yeah very much about how transport affects people's everyday lives, both in how that impacts the environment but just how it impacts their ability to uh, work or access education or whatever it is mm. yeah, and those people who are
1: um, disadvantaged from accessing. Public transport are also being oppressed in in other aspects of their lives, and so it really is kind of that intersectional approach to tackling one issue while also tackling others,
2: yeah, yeah, and I think it also like camp- campaigning for something like public transport is really powerful, and I think it kind of like maybe um it 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 helps a bit with i guess the like Um, what's it called? (laughs) I think I might have it right now. Where you work too much and then you're kind of tired, but of you know, like constantly fighting against something can be so exhausting. So it's nice to have a space where we can sort of fight for something. Um, and you know, there's groups still in Melbourne, like the Stop North East Link Alliance, that um, sustainable cities in sort of the 2010s or yeah, 2020s, um. Worked quite closely with on that campaign, and we still, and we know though, you know, they're still there, uh, working really, really hard. And it's, yeah, I think our work is very much, um, aligned because, you know, we need to be getting money out of major road projects towards public transport. Like, that's really what we need to see is the government to stop investing so much in roads and put more money into public transport that is going to ultimately, um, be a lot better for the environment and also just benefit so many more people's lives. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I guess we'll just maybe um, wrap up with letting you all know how you can get involved. Um, I guess one of the things that we're doing, the reason we're kind of going over the work of the last 50 years is because we do, we are running an end of financial year fundraiser um, so, you know, if you want us to be able to keep doing the work that we've been doing, uh, blo- blockading the freeways and. <laughs> well, that wasn't faux. Uh, <laughs> fighting for better buses, then, um, yeah, please head to our website um, and donate, just melbournefo.org.au. And, yeah, if you also want to get involved with our collectives, there's a sign up page to volunteer on there or you can kind of go directly to Act on Climate or Sustainable Cities. Um, we're also running some um, organizer, community organiser training at the moment. Um, there's one on tonight at 6pm to 8pm just at the Faux office in Collingwood, and we're doing that fortnightly um, for the next little while. So, yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for Dirt Radio today, and uh, we will catch you next week.